Hi, Jim. How are you? Good. How are you, Tracy? I'm so good. I'm so glad to be here today. And I'm glad to have a couple of principals back. Not that I don't like those really smart education people, but I really, really like principals. That's cool. And this is Chad Pruitt that we're going to be calling. And he is from Davenport Middle and Senior High School. It's actually kind of a rural uh, school. I think he maybe has just like 300, 350 kids mm. in his school, but he was an ESEA distinguished school in 2019. Oh, wow. What part of the country? Washington. Yep, Ooh. Washington State. So let's call him. Okay. See what he has to tell us. He's All a, right, Chad. He's a winner. Okay, here we go. Hello, this is Chad. Hey, Chad, this is Tracy Vandeventer. Hi, Tracy. Good to connect with you. Good to connect with you. Thank you for taking time to talk to us. I also am here with Jim Martin, my colleague. Hi, Chad. Hi, hi Jim. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for uh, being flexible today. I appreciate it. So. Um, yeah, Tracy said you're on the road. Yeah, we. I wasn't sure when we were leaving, and so we... Uh, we're in beautiful Montana, or no, we're still in Idaho, so we're approaching Montana, so. Okay, uh, very nice. On, on our way to South Dakota, but anytime I can talk shop, I I really enjoy it, so um, <laughs> appreciate you guys taking, taking time. Yeah, so Chad, I have to tell you, I saw on Facebook um, a little picture, and it was uh, uh, sort of like this empty space, and it just said, principles fake-cation. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yep. And you're kind yep. of having a fakeation right now. Yep, exactly. Because <laughs> you're still working even though you're in the car. Are you driving, Chad? Are we safe? Yep. Oh, yeah. This is totally fine. Okay. I'm totally fine. All right. We'll try not to distract you or excite you too much. <laughs> okay. Perfect. <laughs> so, Chad, tell us a little bit about yourself. We uh, introduced and just said you're at Davenport Middle Senior High School and a little bit about you're in Davenport and a little more rural, but other than that, tell us about yourself. Uh, yeah, so we're small town Davenport in the middle of a bunch of wheat fields, um, and I have been there. This is my eighth year there. Uh, it's my 16th in education overall. I started out, I was a social studies teacher and a boys basketball coach for nine years in a little town um, just south of Davenport. Uh, also grew up in a small town in, in Twist, Washington, so near Chelan, um, for those that may know who are listening. But I guess I'm small town at heart and uh, ended up there after I went to college. Uh, it's been great. I love Davenport. I love small towns. love connecting with kids and the sense of community. Um, and really, I wouldn't trade it for the world at this point. And what you're... We one of the reasons we pulled you into our sort of sphere here is because you are an ESEA distinguished school, and you mentioned community and just how you love that you know sense of community. Tell us tell us about what it's like to be at your school. It's somewhere to come visit. Um, you know, there's a saying in Davenport: "We are the home of the gorillas. The gorillas are our mascot, uh, which is unique for." A school in the middle of wheat fields, um, <laughs> but we we have a saying in Davenport that you know once a gorilla, always a gorilla, mm. and 
the community really embodies that and the sense of pride is just I, I you know i think all schools all communities have it but davenport's unique in that sense and when i first got there i was uh i'm a middle school high school principal and we're two blocks apart um and they just opened the middle school wing my first year and so even though we're you know low socioeconomic status most of our kids are low income kids the community really supports the school um and that was really kind of a a neat thing and and they just really support everything that we're trying to do to to help the kids and send them to places that they never thought was possible what's the population of davenport if you know about two thousand. Oh, okay great yeah and and you said you've been there this is going to be your eighth year did i hear that right yeah. Uh, eighth year right now. So, or I just wrapped up my eighth year. So next year will be year nine. Yeah. So So you've actually had a chance to see this school over a period of time. And I'm curious, what kind of changes have you noticed over time since you first started working there? Um, well, that's a really good question. You know, I, I think that the, I, I guess just the focus on um, really peeling back the onion and making sure that we're focusing on student needs has been our biggest change. And that might be either it's academic needs or social emotional needs. Um, and I just really focused on that. Uh, we, we started PLCs my second year in district and we really focused on the kids, whether or not how they were doing, how they're performing, attendance behavior, um, and we really just make it a point to ensure that kids don't slip through the cracks, I think is the biggest change that we had. The culture has always been there, but you know, that culture, if you strengthen it and focus on the little things, um, it makes a big difference because the, the heart was always there. Um, and so we just really kind of refined what we were doing. And that really was one of the big changes. We, we increased our college and the high school, our AP offerings, and really our support and intervention classes, we put re- response to intervention. We were big uh, Mike Maddow school in regards to response to intervention. And so we put in RTI time um, to help kids. And then we followed up with some extra support classes for them on top of everything we do. We, we just believe, we believe in every student every day. And we believe in creating endless possibilities for them. And that's kind of one of the things that really stands out in Davenport when you come and visit. And it's kind of ingrained. It's not our official school motto or vision. But when you see people giving interviews, that's really what it comes back to is um, preparing kids for a future they didn't believe in or didn't know existed and a future full of endless possibilities. And it's fun to see the staff and even sometimes the kids buy into that and say it without even knowing that they're saying it. Hmm. Yeah, shows that it's really becoming embedded, huh? Yes, absolutely. Tracy said that you um, have a 13 to 1 student to teacher ratio. Is that right? You know, I mean, probably if you if you take a look and we were even in all of our classes, it would probably be that. Yeah. Okay. But some are bigger and some are smaller. Yep. So then when you're looking at the staffing, have you had a big staffing shift in those last uh, eight or nine years, you know, or is it kind of the same group of people and you've just started to shift your focus? Um, that's a, that's a good question. I, you know, I think I probably, I probably had a 50% turnover, um, in staff due to retirements, but I, I don't know. Our veterans really are the ones that lead the way, um, 
in so much of what we do. And then everybody that comes in, just it becomes the Davenport way. Uh, so it, it's kind of fun to see our culture. I always say that our culture is the strongest thing. And, you know, I, I would say that if we divided all of our kids out equally, we'd be close to that. But it's a little more difficult because sometimes we do small classes for AP computer science or small classes for intervention mm -hmm. or small classes for AP U.S. history. So that's where sometimes you get the smaller classes. And then on the other side of it, you get a little bit larger class uh, in a more general sense. So um, but our culture is huge, regardless of turnover. It's our culture that really has been driving our work, I think. And when you're thinking about offerings, you, you mentioned like you've increased your AP offerings and maybe some RTI offerings for, you know, your students. You know, when you have a smaller school like you do, tell me, how how are you able to kind of manage it? What challenges have you had to overcome? Because I think those people who are in, you know, larger schools, suburb or uh, inner city, they don't face the same challenges you do that way. What, what are your secrets? Oh, you know, it's, Again, and I know I'm a broken record here, but it's culture. So when we first started looking at college and the high school and AP offerings, you know, I kind of had to nudge some staff in that direction. We had a few classes and then it just grew organically from that point. Uh, I, have a, I have a science teacher who's absolutely amazing and he's going to retire after this coming school year, you know, the 2021 school year. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's in his three years away from retirement and he comes to me and he says, you know, if everybody else is doing AP, I'm going to do AP chemistry. And I was just, I was kind of, whoa, okay. And I thought, you know, that's kind of something that has stuck with me and something that I want to do. And I'm like, if he's that close to retirement, but if everybody else is doing it, he goes to a week-long AP course training so he can bring it back to the kids. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and so then it honestly, it grew from there. And so uh -huh. we went from like two AP offerings, I think we're up to eight or nine now. And for a small school of uh, about 180 high school kids, that's pretty, pretty remarkable. I think, it, you know, the U.S. News World Report released their rankings and our high school was ranked 29th in our state and number two in eastern Washington, which would be on the obviously the east side of the Cascade Mountains. And we're really proud of that. And again, that's that cultural piece that people want to be a part of it. And they want to contribute and do something to add to that so that they can give those kids the, that experience. We say that, you know, always, it doesn't matter if you go to a rural school or if you go to one of the Spokane schools, which is the biggest city next to us, we're going to have, we're going to compete. And our kids are going to be just as prepared as anybody coming out of, uh, you know, the urban setting. So That's terrific. Um, Chad, what, uh, what are some little things that principals can do um, to build that culture that you're talking about. So, um, you know, it doesn't just automatically happen. So, uh, how, how does that, how should that go from your vantage point? You know, I think being very clear and consistent in your message. And I also think, um, we never waver from our PLC work, uh, and we don't go after new shiny initiatives. We stay very student-centered. What is best for our kids and how can we get them to grow academically and put them in a position to take advantage of those skills that we give them past the, the Davenport walls that we have, you know, past our school system. Um, I think that's really benefited. 
and I, I, you know, our message is clear, endless possibilities. And if you have that belief system, I think it grows from there. But it's not about programs. It's not about anything. It's about keeping kids at the center of everything you do and um, being consistent and not overwhelming people. I mean, that's that's really what it is. And then when people feel like they can breathe, I think they're willing to do incredible things. And we always say in Davenport, we're willing to try anything once because what can it hurt? You know, status quo is something that we, we really strive to not be. Uh, we're always pushing the envelope. You know, we started a satellite skills center to try to figure out a way. So we had a construction trades program um, and they earned industry certification. And then we partnered with our hospital and we put a NAC program in. So we actually have kids that earn their uh, CNA certification so they can go work as a nursing assistant aide. Um, but we're always looking that that direction. But that is all based off of what's best for kids. And um, it's really driven by the staff more so than anything because we just have this vision for what we want our kids to be able to do at the end of the day. So you talked about, right, no new shiny initiatives and don't overwhelm people, right? Try to keep things focused and simple, consistent. That's what I'm hearing. I'm curious if you at some point had to actually consciously let some things go or we're not doing that anymore. Do you remember any of that during these last years? Um, you know, uh, no, but unfortunately I think with COVID-19 that could be on the horizon. And I think that's some of the very difficult and hard conversations that we're having. Um, especially when you start looking at what does our future hold in education and especially if you have to keep kids six feet apart in a classroom and we just mentioned 13 to 1 or small class sizes versus large class sizes well kind of have to balance things out you know to try to get as many kids in a room safely as possible and so I think we're having those really hard internal conversations about what goes you know do we offer an AP computer science class of 10 kids um, at the expense of something else or the intervention happen. You might be driving into a deep unknown. Hello? So we're still connected. Maybe he's just driving down into the valley, coming back up. Can you hear us, Chad? <laughs> You know, one thing I love, Jim, is think about the ways that he has really brought... Oh, we have disconnected, so let's give him another call back. But I really like how he has brought the world to him. And he kind of just didn't wait, right? You know, he brought this construction trades group. He brought the CNA certification. Uh, really, that those kinds of things, although they may not seem like a big deal, if you're a a school that has 128 kids in the high school, those opportunities are priceless. Right. They are important. Let's call them back. And I have a question too about, you know, just, well, I, I love that he's broadening the yeah. potential, the possibilities that kids may see in a rural setting, you know, I mean, they right. may not know. Endless possibilities. Yeah, I like that. He must still be in the valley of the unknown. 
There are some big stretches of wide open space out there. Right, right. I reached chat for a cell phone. I'm not available to take your call right now. Please we'll leave him a message. message. I'll get back to you as soon as okay. I can. Tell Thank him you. how to call us day. back. At the tone, please record your message. When you've finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. Hey, Chad. Hey, Chad. It's Tracy and Jim, and uh, we just called you back if you get the message while you're driving through the great wide expanses of the U.S. West, uh, and you get connection again, give us a call back. Yeah, that, that whole sense of endless possibilities, because I think so many times that limit that we don't even know kids feel right? That limitation, the limit of options, limited choices, or even just the kids feeling like, I can't do that, or there's just no way, or, you know. Yeah. I've been reading a little bit about rural settings as well. And I, I think that um, that's one of the things that is common in rural settings, from what I understand, at least, um, that uh, sometimes there's that push and pull between, you know, uh, academic preparation, college and career readiness mm-hmm. sort of a thing. And then, you know, some of that uh, depends upon kids aspiring to move out of those communities potentially because some of those jobs that they might take don't exist uh, in those communities. And so um, there can sometimes be, and I'm curious about his perspective of this, there can sometimes be that push and pull between, you know, we're really pushing for these high academic standards so that kids can be anything, do anything, endless possibilities. And, you know, parents feeling like, well, but I don't want my kids to leave, you right. know, the community. I don't want them to aspire to go away. Right. So I can understand that. Um, I'm curious to to hear how that's played out in his community. And I think that actually that is a challenge for a lot of our rural communities that they do lose a lot of their population and and they they go off into other you know, places simply because they just don't have the the work base, right? Yeah, maybe that's just something that you accept as a member of a rural community. Uh, if you choose to live there, that you know, that it's it, your kids might end up going somewhere else because yeah. um, the opportunities are greater somewhere else. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. We've heard some of these patterns before in lots of our other conversations with you know principals. Culture, 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 and more culture, right? Right. That we create a space that is really focused on student. He didn't say growth. He said taking care of kids, I think, is the way that he was referring to it. So he talked about both the SEL and the academic piece. So I thought that was was a, a nice, like, pairing, if you will, because sometimes we hear so much about the academic that I do worry not that academics not important, it is, but I do worry about that SEL piece, you know, and how do we help kids who are anxious, who are depressed, who are maybe struggling with uh, being able to move forward because of some other SEL needs that they have in their family or for themselves. And I, I appreciate that he said they, they've, oh, I see, I wrote down, he focus on student needs. Mm. 
and not just the academics. You know, I find some of these award-winning principles so interesting because um, I think that they sometimes have a difficult time explaining exactly what they do. And, you mm-hmm. know, it's kind of like so obvious to them. Mm-hmm. But obviously, it's not that obvious because everybody would be doing it right. and doing it well. Right. And so you've got some of these award winners and he's just like, you know, culture. And it's like, well, okay, but like, yeah. what makes your culture different than right. um, the road, the school down the road that can't get to that same level of accomplishment. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's sometimes hard to, when you're in the middle of it, I think, to step away and go, okay, exactly, what are we doing that's so successful? Right. Um, Because there's got to be something different. Right. (laughs) Unconscious competence, I think, right, is is a reference that, you know, he's so competent as an educational leader, but maybe also those people like Chad are so good at what they do, they aren't aware of all the ways that they are building on that culture and building that high level of, you know, expectation for kids and holding high standards. Um, Some of those, some of those pieces that he may do that maybe he's not even aware of. Like, how much time do you spend in your office, Chad? I have a feeling he's probably not in his office a bunch mm-hmm. um, because he's out working with kids and he's out, uh, you know, greeting and developing relationships and building that cu- culture. Um, go ahead. I also wonder about um, this sort of notion of uh, students first, you know, students at the center of everything we do. I I struggle with that a little bit because I feel like everybody comes well, everybody in education at least says that they come at it from that. Culture piece? Well, that standpoint of like students first, yeah. right? This is yeah. about what's best for students. Yeah. And yet, you know, we still don't have consensus about what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, keeping students at the center, I think, is a really important cultural statement. And I think it's a little bit more challenging than just saying it because... Yeah. You know, I mean, I've heard things even that, you know, if you keep teachers happy, then students will be happy. And, you know, I think for people who say that, they believe that that's student-centered, right? Because, you know, we're trying to put some policy in place that benefits teachers so that teachers are happy and then students are happy. Um, So I don't know. I mean, I just think that that's a challenge to parse through that notion of what's student-centered, yeah, and and when you're talking about student needs, focusing on student needs, that can be so broad. And sometimes student needs actually make it harder for teachers, right? So we can't always, you know, not that I don't want teachers to be happy, but I know sometimes it's really inconvenient when we have students who have such drastic needs that we have to provide different kinds of support for them. Um And just going back to what he said about that balance, you know, trying to make sure we're not overwhelming uh, people, but not lose our focus on, on those student needs. It's a, it's a, it's a really interesting sort of rub, right? Because Mm -hmm. there are times, there are times when we have to do and make decisions, do the work and make decisions that make it harder for ourselves. And I'm curious about, Chad, if he feels himself at times that he's been overwhelmed, I I sensed from him that moving forward in this COVID-19 time, 
is, is going to be kind of heartbreaking because I don't want them to let go of their AP computer class that has 10 mm -hmm. kids, mm -hmm. right? It's hard. Yeah, it can really interrupt some of that momentum that they've got. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if there's ways to even, and I'm not that familiar with rural secondary schools, but in this whole COVID-19 time, we've been looking at different ways we ourselves here at our school are required to kind of make some adjustments. And on a secondary level, you might have some flexibility with scheduling. Like what if, what if, you know, some, I might not help in the class sizes, but what if you have some teachers start later in the day? Mm. So you have fewer kids in the school and some kids are taking their classes at home. You know, if you could mm -hmm. do that Zoom kind of thing, it's not quite the same. Or maybe even like one day on, one one class time on, one class time um, at home. Uh, I just don't want them to lose their AP computer science class. Right. Because that's cool. If you it could is. end up with your computer class and get that college credit and be finished. I'm not sure how much his community is being impacted. but Yeah. But definitely we saw some really consistent patterns, right? PLCs. Mm -hmm. And he talked about Mike Maddows and that response to intervention as a, as a really important focus, talking about the increase in AP offerings and then also their partnership with like the hospital and the, you know, the, the construction trades uh, program where people are getting licensed or certifications through that, right? So he's really done a nice job and trying to include the entire community on um, being able to create that expansion. Yeah, I think that that's really, um, really uh, tremendous, the way that he has been able to utilize the community um, in uh, bringing opportunities to his students. Um, you know, sometimes as a principal, I found that, uh, you know, everybody wants a hand in what you're doing in education. Right. Everybody wants to support. Everybody wants to help. And not all of that fits with what, you know, and if you're trying to keep a focus, if you're trying to keep things not overwhelming, some of that community um, influence can be overwhelming. Yeah. You know, can bring, bring things that maybe aren't as well right. aligned to what you're doing, your school program. And so it seems like he's done a really good job of... Um, identifying those community partnerships that will yeah. really advance the school's mission of endless possibilities. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, it looks like he's still off in a space driving where we can't get to him. So I'm glad we, he's getting a vacation. That's well, that's right. And it doesn't look like a fake-cation either. No, like I think people. you should go someplace where you don't have any <laughs> cell coverage, where Tracy and Jim can't bug you. That's totally a that's vacation. The best advice we have for you is that you go where there's no cell phone service and that you stay for a long time. That's how you get your vacation in. Well, Chad, congratulations, Chad Pruitt, for winning an, uh, an award for your school. Yep, and ESEA, you know, Distinguished School in 2019. And maybe we'll check in with him. And Because one of my most favorite questions, I'm sorry we can't ask, is what would he tell his younger self? So maybe we could even email him and get that uh, when he's off his, his vacation and, and find out more about what advice, because I always learn a lot about people's reflections about mm -hmm. their work and how they would maybe do things differently in their advice for themselves. But also kudos, Chad, for getting out there, taking a vacation, and uh, we wish you well this upcoming year, even in the midst of, uh, unfortunately, coronavirus. We hope that it doesn't impact your programs uh, too much. I think that's him. 
Is this Chad? Hi, sorry. It's okay. You know, Chad, we've been talking for you. <laughs> oh, you have been? Yep. And so I, you guys have solved all my problems <laughs> then. I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> well, you'll have to listen in and uh, see just the different reflections we had. And one thing I was just actually sad about was our final question. But before we go there, I think Jim has one other question he was going to ask about. Okay. Well, yeah, I've been reading a little bit about rural schools. I'm actually going to be um, the principal at a rural school this coming year um, in, a, in a rural community. And uh, awesome. I've spent all of my career in urban settings. And so I'm really just trying to read up and study and learn as much as I possibly can. But one of the things that I read um, was that sometimes there's a little bit of a push and pull between the community wanting to you know keep their kids close and their families close and the uh, goals of the school which is you know academic preparation college and career AP and that some of those aspirations of the school might take kids away from the community um, do you ever have any conflict as a community about those ideals and how do you how do you navigate that? You know, it's that's a really great question, and I've I've you know read some of the same things, and I have not personally had that experience. I think um, our message is that we're trying to grow our own. So, like for example, rural healthcare is in a crisis. Um, mm -hmm. You know, how do you get lawyers to come back to represent if you don't, in a way, grow your own? Because it's usually People that have come from a small town uh, that come back to the small yeah. towns to bring those services. And so in, in a lot of ways, we try to paint this clear picture that it's for every kid. And we're going to try to prepare the top 5% and we're going to pull everybody um, up as much as we can. I would say that my, in my experience, I've struggled more with um, poverty uh, with the, you know, kind of the research on poverty of trying to break out of that than I have with um, really the majority of our kids wanting to go out and do something. Uh, but that's just been our thing. And that's, again, why we started the nursing program with the hospital, just because they realized, too, that if we can get them on a pathway, maybe they come back and mm -hmm. they offer these services in small towns. I think yeah. you're going to do awesome. I think you're going to love it if you haven't been in a small town. I think you're going to learn that probably like an urban setting, but in a small town, you're on 24-7. You can't <laughs> escape it. You go to the grocery store and you're running into everybody and you go to the post office and there is no escape. But <laughs> that you, I think uh, I love it. So I think you will, too. So congratulations. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, would you say more, a little more about the poverty issue that you've, you said that has been a little bit of a struggle? You know, I don't know if it's anything that's really been verbally communicated it's just it just seems like we struggle with that and then some of the things that we've read is that you know they they almost don't want their kids to break out of that situation and i don't even know if it's something that uh they realize that they're doing and i think that's some of the things that maybe we need to focus on more uh in parent engagement is really communicate the why we're doing this um and so that would be one of the things that i think uh, we've struggled with that we could do better with, uh, making sure that we're, our messaging is clear and that we make the parents a part of the process. Um, and, I, and it's not like anything that where people have said, no, I don't want my child to get this 
support or extra help. I don't want you to help them be the best person or best version of themselves. I just get that feeling because I've been here for eight years and there's some kids that we've really set on a pathway. Um, you know, uh, for example, I know one young lady, we got her nursing assistant stuff and we got her all set up to go out of the community and it didn't happen. And uh, she was the first um, member in her family to receive a high school diploma. And we just, we couldn't, it didn't happen for us. And so, you know, we probably need to explore that avenue a little bit more on the why. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's just the unknown, leaving the safe community and where your family is to go somewhere else um, probably was the biggest hurdle. And we need to probably explore that and do some work around that issue. I, it would be more of guess where I, my experience and where I would be thinking about when I answered that question. Yeah. Interesting. And, and not unusual, right? You're not unique that way that we see that cycle that continues for a number of communities and it's hard. It's hard for families to break out of that. And so we're going to say for her that it's just not yet, not yet. She's got the skills and there'll be time and she will get a chance, right? Because you've given her a good base. Here's our final question, Chad. If you could go back in time in a time machine and talk to your younger self when you were just getting into education, <laughs> what advice would you give yourself? Chad, you would say you go on vacation. That's because you're gone. He's I think gone that again. That's a really good place to say <laughs> and seen. <laughs> and, oh, he's calling back. Hey, Chad. Are you there? Yep. Okay. So the younger self. Right. right. Going back in time. What advice would you give your younger self? You know, I tried to, I was talking to my wife about that and I, I don't know. I said at first, don't be a principal, but I'm not <laughs> sure that was, um, uh Oh, I think he's gone again. <laughs> We will have to inform our listeners of what he came up with. Yeah. All right. Well, Chad, we're going to get your answer, and we're going to put it at the end. And uh, just we are so grateful you and your family get out there on a vacation, and you've already given us a lot of great insights into being in your community. How lucky is Davenport to have you as their principal? And uh, we wish you good luck this upcoming year. Thank you for joining us, everyone. We did hear back from Chad, who was driving along, making his way to his vacation, and this is what he said. I'm sorry about today. I did not anticipate having such bad service. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. I was only kidding when I said I would give advice to myself to not be a principal. I love my job, school, and community. I would tell my younger self the same thing now that I did then, which is that I have to be able to look myself in the mirror at the end of every day and know I did the absolute best I could for kids, knowing I'm going to make mistakes along the way. Through those mistakes, I've grown as a person and as a principal, which helps me be better for the students and adults involved in our school system. Thanks, Chad. Have fun.